Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Topics of Interest. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to discuss some topics of interest for investors to keep an eye on. The first topic that has caught my eye recently is the proposal by Senate Democrats to tax stock buybacks. Although stock price appreciation and dividends are the two most common ways, buybacks are another way for companies to share their wealth with investors. A stock buyback, also known as a share repurchase, occurs when a company buys back its shares from the marketplace with its accumulated cash. Buybacks reduce the number of outstanding shares on the market, which leads to higher earnings per share. Under the proposal, a 2% excise tax would apply to shares bought back and retired. It would exempt repurchase shares used to fund employee stock ownership plans. Democrats said the excise tax would bring in about $100 billion in tax revenue over 10 years. The reason for the proposal is that they believe that buybacks and dividends redirect corporate spending away from capital expenditures or research and development, boosting stock prices in the short run at expense of the long-term growth that could return even more to shareholders. A buyback involves a seller of the stock, and that seller of the stock will often have a capital gain. Unlike dividends, which impose a tax on shareholders, the buyback puts the tax control into the hands of the shareholder. It doesn't avoid taxes, it just allows the shareholder to decide whether they want to incur the capital gains tax in the first place by selling their shares back to the company. So this new proposal just adds a tax on top of a situation that already includes a capital gains tax. The government should not tell companies how they should decide to invest their money, whether it be for capital expenditures, research and development, buybacks, or dividends. This would be like the government telling a local restaurant owner how they should invest their profits into expanding their location or opening a new location. Buybacks are just another way to return capital to shareholders. Companies have authorized more than $680 billion in stock repurchases through July, a figure exceeded only by the 2018 record and data going back to 2000s. Buybacks have provided a key source of demand for stocks, supporting major indexes even through periods of uncertainty or times when ordinary investors pull money from U.S. equities. According to the S&P Dow Jones indices, between the third quarter of 2011 and the second quarter of 2021, S&P 500 companies poured nearly $5.7 trillion into the stock market through share repurchases. The next topic is whether current Fed Chairman Jay Powell is going to be nominated by President Biden for another term. Mr. Powell's four-year term as Fed Chairman expires in February. One group of Democrats would like the central bank to be reoriented more explicitly to address priorities such as climate change and are pressing the White House to replace Mr. Powell when his term expires. They say that Chairman Powell has done too little to address climate change and they criticize the steps the Fed has taken to relax certain financial rules. Other Democrats have appreciated Chair Powell's response to the coronavirus pandemic and his focus on elevating the importance of a tight labor market. Mr. Powell was confirmed by a comfortable margin for his current term with 84 senators in favor. 68 of those remained in office, equally split between the party caucuses. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told senior White House advisors that she favors renominating poll, whose current term ends in February, according to people familiar with the matter. The two main sponsors of the 2010 financial regulatory legislation that bears her name, former Senator Chris Todd and former Representative Barney Frank, said that President Biden should reappoint Fed Chairman Chairman Powell to a second term atop the central bank. 
The other option most widely mentioned is Fed Governor Lael Brainer. She's seen as a more liberal nominee who tends to be closer to Biden's economic agenda and has four more hawkish on banking regulations. Historically, the new president tends to renominate the current Fed chairperson for another term to keep continuity in terms of monetary policy. Prior to former President Trump replacing Janet Yellen with Jay Powell, the previous three Fed chairs were reappointed in each case by presidents of the opposite political party. President Biden needs to announce his nominees sooner than later, especially as the Federal Reserve is in the process of tightening monetary policy through tapering of asset purchases by the end of the year or beginning of next year. I believe the appropriate thing to do would be to renominate Chair Powell to another turn to provide that continuity with monetary policy as they start tightening. I believe this would alleviate a potential uncertainty in the markets if another individual was nominated for chairperson of the Fed. Besides Powell, Biden has the opportunity to replace the vice chair for supervision who oversees bank regulation, a position now held by Randall Quarles, and vice chair post now held by Richard Clarita, along with an open seat on the Federal Reserve Board. A potential snag in the potential renomination has come up. Two Federal Reserve Bank District Presidents, Robert Kaplan of Dallas and Eric Rosenring of Boston, traded stocks last year while their monetary policy deliberations were having a profound impact on financial markets. Their trading hadn't violated their bank's ethical strictures, but the two Fed presidents had personal investments in sectors in which the central bank was operating. Rosenring owned a real estate investment trust that invested in mortgage securities that the Fed had been buying. Fed Chairman Jay Powell has directed staff to take a fresh and comprehensive look at the rules to identify ways to tighten those standards and will make changes as appropriate to the Fed's code of conduct. This leads me into my next topic, which is the first step in the tightening of monetary policy and the tapering of asset purchases. That is why knowing who the president is going to nominate to the chair of the Fed during the beginning of the tightening stage coming out of the pandemic is important. Current Fed Chairman Powell stated that the beginning of that process could start before the end of this year. That Fed will be behind other central banks that have already started to restore easier monetary policy used during the pandemic. The Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, and the Reserve Bank of New Zealand and the Reserve Bank of Australia, along with the ECB, have already begun the process. The Bank of Japan cut its asset purchases near zero by targeting a 0% rate on its 10-year government bonds using yield curve control. The Bank of Japan's shift to yield curve control relieved it from a fixed commitment to buy bonds, and it could slow purchases as long as the 10-year yields were capped at zero. The Bank of Canada started tapering its purchases of Government of Canada bonds last October, even though it denied last October that it was tapering. Was tapering. The Bank of England announced its decision to taper its asset purchases in May, and has since cut its weekly bond purchase on net from about £4 billion a week to close to £2 billion a week through the summer, even though it denied in May that its tapering was tapering. The Federal Reserve Bank of New Zealand ended its asset purchases in May without tapering, while the Reserve Bank of Australia announced in July that it would start tapering its asset purchases from $5 billion Australian dollars to $4 billion Australian dollars a week. Finally, the European Central Bank has taken a page out of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England. In a press release on September 9th, the European Central Bank said that the pace of net asset purchases under the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program would be moderately lower. The European Central Bank didn't specify by how much it would reduce purchases under the program, but said that it would purchase flexibly according to market conditions. However, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde also denied at a press conference that tapering was tapering and stressed that tapering was instead a recalibration of quantitative easing. 
All these statements made by the heads of major central banks are trying to calm markets that the tapering they are embarking on is really not tapering, so they do not upset the financial markets. So when is the Federal Reserve actually going to announce and start its tapering of asset purchases? The first chance could actually come today, as the Fed has its FOMC meeting that will include their monetary policy decision, a new set of economic projections on GDP, inflation, employment, and the Fed funds rate, along with the obligatory press conference. Could they announce today that tapering will start before the end of the year? According to the most recent Bank of America fund manager survey of those investors surveyed, almost 20% believe that they will signal begin tapering at this FOMC meeting, while around 64% believe they will signal this in the fourth quarter of 2021. To me, that would most likely mean their November FOMC meeting. If they signal tapering at this week's meeting, tapering of asset purchases would begin before year's end. And if they signaled it at their November meeting, they would need to start the process in December if they want to start before year's end or hold off to the beginning of next year. What could keep the Fed from signaling the beginning of tapering at today's FOMC meeting? Recent week economic data could make a taper announcement at today's FOMC meeting less likely. The recent week economic data includes a weak payroll number for August and lower estimates for third quarter GDP. Also, there is concern about the debt ceiling and financial market jitters and possible economic disruptions from a government shutdown could cause the Fed to hold off on a tapering announcement until November. Speaking of the debt ceiling, this is the last topic I would like to discuss that investors should be aware of. United States debt ceiling or debt limit is a legislative limit on the amount of national debt that can be incurred by the U.S. Treasury, thus limiting how much money the federal government may borrow. When the debt ceiling is actually reached without an increase in the limit having been enacted, the Treasury will need to resort to extraordinary measures to temporarily finance government expenditures and obligations until a resolution can be reached. The Treasury has never reached the point of exhausting extraordinary measures. Congress and the White House have changed the debt ceiling almost 100 times since the end of World War II, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. In 2019, Congress voted to suspend the debt limit until July 31st of 2021. Now the Treasury is using temporary emergency measures to buy more time so the government can keep paying its obligations to bondholders, veterans, and Social Security recipients. In the worst-case scenario, the federal government would default, at least temporarily, on some of its obligations, including those Social Security payments, veteran benefits, and salaries for federal workers. In addition, there could be a potential downgrade of the U.S. credit ratings, which happened in 2011. In 2011, a debt limit standoff in Congress brought the country very close to a default before lawmakers finally struck a deal, but not without a downgrade of the country's credit rating and significant market volatility. Between July and October of that year, the S&P 500 sank more than 18%, and the yield on the benchmark U.S. Treasury 10-year bond fell over 40 basis points in response to the event. Republicans have vowed not to cooperate with Democrats' efforts to suspend or raise the borrowing limit, calling on them to deal with the debt limit as part of the partisan budget reconciliation package that require only 50 votes, with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking any ties to advance in the evenly divided Senate. Administration officials and Democratic leaders have insisted, however, that Republicans should also be part of an agreement to increase the debt ceiling. Lifting the ceiling doesn't authorize new spending, but allows the Treasury to borrow to cover spending that Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, have already authorized. Because of this current standoff, it could take longer to resolve the debt ceiling issue, which could lead to some short-term volatility in the markets, which investors should be aware of. 
This could potentially lead to short-term pullbacks in the equity market and potentially lower yields as occurred in 2011 if investors, even with the risk or downgrade of the country credit rating, as they look for safety and security of bonds. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors Podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors Podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors Podcast show.